0: Today is Mother's Day, uh, and I have one of those um, strange responses to Mother's Day. Psychologists will use a phrase called implicit memory, and implicit memory is uh, something we're all familiar with, but like imagine if you walk out of a library and you've, you forgot to check the books out and they're in your backpack and you go through the little security stall and it beeps at you. You know what I'm talking about? And, and then all of a sudden you freak out, your heart races, your adrenaline dumps, and you're like, oh my gosh, um, are they going to tackle me? What are they going to do? Are their dogs are They sick on me? And, but, but you just kind of react, you know what I mean? You go check out the books, you figure it out, you solve it. A month later, you're back at the library, and even though you don't have any books on you, you don't even have your backpack with you. You're going to walk through that little security stall, and for some reason, your heart races. Um, that's an implicit memory. Like you've made a connection with this experience, with this, with this visual thing that's tied to a certain emotional response. We, we know this uh, commonly as buttons, right? You know, <laughs> so-and-so's got buttons. You know, like uh, you know, someone says something and they just fly off the handle and it's not really rational, but somehow something happens somewhere along the way and now they're programmed to respond in that context. So in implicit memory, you react when you see the, the security thing at the library. I have an implicit memory and a reaction to Mother's Day because I was horrible at it um, my whole life. I, I am still horrible at it. Uh, I'm not a very sentimental guy. My mom told Tamara that when we were um, dating. She, she just warned her, um, he doesn't, he's a robot, um, there's no, <laughs> no sentimentality. Uh, I think growing up um, on Mother's Day, I assumed Mom was up early, so I would always holler, you know, what's for breakfast kind of thing. I I never got up early to cook breakfast. Uh, Never really did the card thing. It just seemed like a waste of money. You could just say it with your mouth. You didn't have to. um So I, I I was bad at it. And it really got bad when Tamara got indoctrinated into the Mother's Club, our first daughter, Mary Joy, was born and we were really poor I was in grad school and so after church I took her to lunch uh, at the best place most exciting place best value place that I knew and we went and got $1.99 uh, Costco hot dog and, and coke <laughs> and then the next day in the office the women in the office asked me what what I'd done for Tamara on her first Mother's Day and I proudly said well we would gotten in, uh, gotten the hot dog at Costco and with the coke come together um, <laughs> It's all beef, Hebrew National, Frank, um, and uh, and these women just slaughtered me like for weeks. Right? It was like I, I I just they would frown at me and and like shoot darts at me with their eyes every time they saw me for weeks. Uh, I still feel very misunderstood about that whole experience. Uh, but it it did create a, a a button, so I've got a button. So when I was thinking about Mother's Day, this this time around, I I really, I I, I wanted to spend a lot of time thinking about it, so uh, I, for months, have been thinking about Mother's Day, even a week ago wrote an article that I thought I was going to publish and then decided not to, but um, I really wrestled with this a lot, and I think Mother's Day is a lot broader, a lot deeper, and a lot more complex than simply flowers or a card or a happy Mother's Day greeting. And I think there's something magical and powerful about motherhood and what God has created in women with the nurturing desire and the nurturing love that they have. But that is something beneath and under um, women as a whole. And the crazy thing about it, so if you'll turn with me, I want to just use Jesus' mother Mary. It's kind of a jumping off point. There's, there's a nurturing, self-giving desire that I believe is common to women. It's, in, it's instinctual to women. It's a, it's, a, it's a God-given thing. And so in Matthew we see the birth of Jesus foretold. I'm sorry, Luke. Oh, no, I wouldn't find it. Luke. Uh, we see the birth of Jesus foretold. And this is after John the Baptist's birth is foretold by the angel. And so we get to, in verse 26, the beginning of the, the narrative about the birth of Jesus being foretold. And so I'll just start reading in, in verse 26 of the Gospel of Luke. And it says this In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And her name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Um, if, if you uh, This is one of the more poignant verses in Scripture. In Latin, it's Ave Maria gratia plentia. Um, you'll see it on cathedrals in in Europe um, over doorways and there's a beautiful, beautiful Catholic song, Ave Maria. Um, Get Bocelli singing it and bring tears to your eyes. But the idea here is Hail Mary full of grace. And so there's this, uh, in the Catholic tradition, almost like a treasure trove of grace that Mary has, um, that she has merited in some sense or is at her disposal that she can dispense to people who need grace. Um, In the Protestant tradition, we would look at this and say, whatever it was as a woman after God's own heart um, that God found favor with her, was pleased with her, uh, and was going to grace her, but it's a fascinating verse because if there was ever a picture of God or God's messenger speaking honor to a woman in the context of motherhood, it's here. You are highly favored. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. And you will be with child and give him birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. And he will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom Will never end. So you see this unbelievable picture of blessing and favor and honor, but if you turn to the Gospel of John all the way to the end, you see something rather different. The Luke passage is the first time we see Mary show up in Scripture. Uh, this John passage is arguably the last time we see Mary show up. And so you you get here the bookends of the life of Mary or of what God is doing with Jesus, his son, through Mary, Jesus' mom. The first one was one of blessing and favor and honor. This last picture we see in chapter 19 of the Gospel of John says this, so chapter 19, verse 25, and you've got to remember, this is the gospel that is informed and written by John, uh, and so it's unique that this is something that he brings into his gospel because it was obviously a very uh, intimate and very important and very significant thing that transpires with John and Jesus' mother, Jer- uh, mother, Mary, at the foot of the cross as Jesus is dying, and it says this, Matthew 19, verse 25. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there and saw the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, dear woman, here is your son. So if you picture him almost, he's speaking to his mom and points to John, the apostle, and says, this is your son. This now is your caretaker. This now is is someone you can lean to. This now is somebody that you're going to have, in some sense, a surrogate relationship with as a son, um, because I am dying. He says, Dear woman, here is your son. And then to John, the disciple, he says, Here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. So there's some fascinating things that, that happen here. One which I think is very significant as you see Jesus honoring his mother. In the middle of the most excruciating pain, in the middle of the opportunity to be solely focused on himself, he is concerned for his mother's emotional and physical Um, well-being. I've mentioned this before, but it's worth mentioning again because I think it's an incredibly important thing for us to keep in mind. But in Deuteronomy, we see the commandment, "Honor your father and your mother." Uh, if you're taking notes, you can write down Deuteronomy 5:16, "Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land that your, uh, the Lord your God is giving you." Exodus 20 verse 12 echoes the Ten Commandments and says, "Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you." Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, Paul echoes this command. He says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment out of the Ten Commandments. The first one in this list on, on the tablets of the Ten Commandments. The first one with a promise, which is the first commandment, says Paul, with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. The idea here is it's not the merit of the parent, It's not how perfect a parent they were. It's not your desire. It's not anything um, about the parent. It's honoring God by honoring your parent. And in doing so, in honoring God by obeying this command, God promises that he will honor you. So there's this strange thing that says you bend your life into honoring your parent. You sacrifice that way whether it's the time, the energy, or the resources that you need to, whether you think they deserve it or not. And as you bend into that, don't worry about the resources that are getting bled out. Don't worry about um, who's going to look out for you. You do this, I will take care of you. And you begin to get a picture that says, well, who are we talking about here? Are we talking about little children? Are we talking about middle-aged kids? What are we talking about? Now, the argument is, that when the Ten Commandments were given, that they were given to the adult Israelites. If you go back and read the story, there was uh, a cleansing rituals that, that happened as the, the whole of Israel kind of prepares themselves to go out and meet God to get this. And, and then the mountain shook, and then God sends uh, Moses up to meet him face to face, and he comes back, and he renders the law not to little kids, but to the people of Israel. It would be like me coming in and saying, okay, Antioch, here's what God says. Honor your father and your mother. Honor your parents. Now, this is more than about not sassing your parents. It's, it's about providing for them um, and taking care of their needs, especially in old age, in a culture where they don't have uh, cataract surgery. Where they don't have um, motorized scooters in in uh, supermarkets where you can buy ready-made food. I, I'm grabbing bad examples, but you know what I'm. You know I'm really. You know you guys are laughing at me. I don't feel like that's honoring me. Your <laughs> laughter at me. Um, but but there's a very real thing in in which we have Medicare, we have Social Security. You might have a pension from the the career that you had. Uh, We have services that are just free and available to people in our society. There are a lot of things that are here that take care of the elderly. When you are the Israelites and you've moved from Egypt into the desert and you're going to live in the desert, um, this law takes on a different kind of meaning. It, It takes on... A meaning that says when your parents can no longer provide for themselves, you provide for them. You take care of them. So here's the verse that kind of helps us understand this more fully. Jesus runs into the Pharisees um, in Matthew chapter 15. Actually, just turn there if you would. Matthew chapter 15, some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, beginning at the top, came to Jesus and asked him, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Which is a really funny thing, right? Um, the Son of God is now walking the, the literal ground of creation. okay, And he's proclaiming the kingdom. And the religious leaders... Go to him out of Jerusalem. So they come down out of the capital city of Washington, D.C., travel out to where Jesus is. Your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat dinner. I don't know. Is it, I mean, it's just something crazy ironic about this that's just like an exercise in missing the point. I mean, it's, it's, this, I mean, it's almost laughable if you picture Jesus hearing this right now and going... Wow, okay. Um, I, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, um, Kindergarten's in. If, is this what we're going to talk about? Like, is this what you came down from Jerusalem to talk to me about? That my disciples aren't washing their hands? Okay, here's my reply. Let's, let's get a little more adult on this. Now, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your Tradition. For God said, Honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted to God, he is not to honor his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are very far from me. They worship me in vain, but their teachings are but rules taught by men. What does that mean? Let me back it up again and say, Jesus says to them, you have begun to say to people, people that will come into the temple, and so as you teach them, you've begun to say to those people uh, this, whatever help you might have You know It's okay for you to say to your father or mother, um, whatever help you might have received from me, I'm not actually going to give to you. Instead, it's a gift devoted to God. So this help I was going to render to you, my aged parents, that was going to help provide for your needs, I'm actually going to do the more spiritual thing, and I'm going to take that gift, and I'm going to give it at the temple to these religious leaders, to God um, and, and so I'm sorry but this gift is devoted to God and, and you religious leaders, Jesus is saying, you're saying that's okay and, um, and in doing so you nullify the Word of God for the sake of your tradition. In other words, God said honor your father and your mother. You're telling people Honor God by ignoring your mother and your father. What kind of lunacy is this, says Jesus? You should be telling your people that this is more important because it's what God commanded that you honor the father and the mother. And if you can't then give to the church, God's not going to care because you're doing what He asked in the first place. That's one of the reasons why, frankly, I think Antioch has a hard time with finances because I really struggle with tithing and giving to the church. It's really hard for me to to stand up and go, like, like, I know I've been taught by lots of pastors and by my ilk that you have to teach about tithing and giving this often, and you need to help people understand that it's a command. Now, in some sense, I do believe it is, but it's not an end, you see. It's not something that I can come down and guilt people all the way with and say, it's all about this. And it's all about my stress. And it's all about um, the church. Because in in a very real and practical way, it's not all about this. But when you tell people it's not all about this, what happens? Yeah, the the felt urgency to take care of the body of Christ or the church kind of dissipates a bit. Until, I believe... The Spirit of God is moving in such a strong way that it looks like an Acts 2 church. And then you get guys like Barnabas and women and and others that have resources, literally like in Acts 2, selling property and bringing the money in and saying, I don't don't even understand the 10% thing. You need more gas on the fire? Here it is. We need more resources to take care of needs and to do the work that God's called us to do? Here it is. And so until there's that dynamic and the Spirit of God move. And I think that's when people become energized and, and give. And so my prayer has always been for Antioch that the vision at the center and the presence of God would drive everything else. But I can't really authentically, at least for myself, be the guy that's, that's always preaching, giving, and, and falling into the trap of these religious leaders and leave out things like, you know what, there's something sometimes much more important than what you give to Antioch. And it's your obedience to God. And it's your faithfulness to honor your father and your mother, or your grandparents, or or whoever it might be. And so Jesus says, Man, you guys are just missing it here. And so we get back to the end of John and you see Jesus hanging on the cross. And one of the fascinating things about this for me is that Jesus, who taught this, Jesus is so much better at teaching things and living them out than, than we are. You know, it's a lot easier to teach things and live it out. Jesus, you know, did both. And so you see him hanging on the cross and he looks at John and he says, this is your mom. And he looks at his mom and says, this is your son. And Jesus is thinking about the emotional and the physical needs of his mother and he's honoring her. The other thing, and and more importantly to what I want to talk about this morning that we see in this passage in John, um, is is this kind of implicit reality. That God's blessing of Mary in in motherhood with his son Jesus was always designed in a way that was going to frustrate and cause serious pain to her maternal instincts and desires. No mother should ever bury a child, yet from the very beginning with Mary, this is God's plan. The one who is... The one who is going to be graced by God is being graced with bearing something that is going to in turn be ripped away from her as she watches her son get betrayed and then die a horrible death on a cross. And it brings up this tension with the desires common to women with regard to nurturing love, self-giving love. And that that desire often is frustrated. It can be challenged with miscarriages or infertility or losing the loved one. It can be challenged when you have children that have needs that that you wrestle with and don't understand how this this came to be and, and you hurt For their hurt. It can be challenged when your grown kids walk away from you, either run away and renounce the relationship to some degree, or walk away from the Lord and you are are left wrestling with this mightiest of all concerns for your, your child and feeling absolutely and utterly helpless to be able to do anything about it. And what we begin to realize is under motherhood is these are these God-given yearnings and desires. And in understanding those yearnings and those desires and what love really looks like in this context, we understand that very rarely will those desires be fully, fully completed and not frustrated. And so the question becomes, out of the frustrations of life, how do we find the faithfulness of God? Because in Mary's life, Jesus, her son dying, was also at the same time, in the very moment, the fullness or the completion of God's faithfulness, not only to her, but to his children and to his nation of Israel, whom he had promised a redeemer to. So I want to explore that briefly in... Um, and then we'll keep it short this morning. I think the more I wrestle with preaching and faith, it's, it's that we're always talking about the faithfulness of God with regard to, with regard to. Um, and I think when we're talking about maternal love and how that can be frustrate, uh, frustrated, and even for men, some of the most deepest desires that we have um, callings, our, our sense of noble responsibility, fatherhood, being a caretaker, whatever it means, as we run into frustrations with some of the, the core desires of who we are. Sometimes when we talk about the faithfulness of God, it, it, it's not supposed to be with regard to. Um, the faithfulness of God because He's going to give you that job in a month. Or He'll bring that child back to the Lord Just give it five years, and and your child, the one that you love, will come back to the Lord. We we always want to kind of just skip off of God onto the, the therefore part. And I guess what I'm grappling with more and more is I think we're supposed to land on God without regard to, but just with regard for we're supposed to not always be searching for the resolution or the action God's going to do, but camping next to God, understanding that God is faithful and that even if we can't see it, even if we're not experiencing it, even if we might not know it in our life, that this is the place that resolves that tension. This is the place that out of our frustrations of life, we find our anchor point and our steady point. So Turn to Lamentations with me, if you would. Lamentations is right after Jeremiah, uh, because he's the prophet that wrote um, many of these lamentations. And so, this is a famous passage, Lamentations chapter three. And so, if there ever was, in some sense, a lament of frustration, of thwarted desire, thwarted promise, it would be Jeremiah's cries in the book of Lamentations. And it says this, chapter 3, verse 19. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great Is your faithfulness. And I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. We get the great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, from this passage. Um, Morning by morning, his mercies are new. That somehow it's not the resolution in our circumstances that's going to always resolve our frustrations. It's the intimacy in the presence of God as he never leaves us or forsakes us that ultimately grounds us in our frustrations so that we can still be anchored and have our eyes looking to God, waiting in hope upon him. If you'll turn to Psalm 142. You see some similar thoughts. There's a summer of my life where I camped on this particular psalm Um, It was a season of despair and hopelessness. And there's something fascinating about how it's worded here, the same thought. Psalm 142, which is a psalm of David. By the way, all the psalms, I mean, we forget this. They were meant to be sung, right? My four-and-a-half-year-old has been going around the house singing um, every day. And so yesterday morning... Uh, I told her, I said, I, I just love your singing. Um, and she says, I'm singing to God, Dad, because God likes it when you sing to him. It's actually a way that, that you can pray. It's my four and a half year old. And I just was like, whoa, what just, I mean, what, just, what did you just say? And uh, her older sister had told her one of the ways we pray is by singing. So she just said it just that way. God, uh, God likes it when I sing to him, Dad. She always talks with attitude. She's a a valley girl, like, you know, total 1980s valley girl. Dad, um, God likes it when I sing to him. You know, it's one of the ways that we can pray. And so she's just walking around the house singing. Um, Imagine singing some of these songs of lament or psalms of lament to God just at a guttural, deep, existential, felt level. In Psalm 142, it says this, I cry, I cry. Literally, with my voice, aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy, and I pour out my complaint before Him. Before Him, I tell my trouble, my frustrations. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who know my way. And in the path where I walk, men have hidden a snare for me. And look to my right and see, no one is concerned for me. I'm utterly alone. I mean, I don't know if you've ever felt that way. I mean, I, uh, I'm awake a lot at 3 in the morning because of uh, various reasons. It's amazing how your mind can play with you at 3 in the morning differently than it can at like 9 in the, in the morning. You know what I'm talking about? Like at 3 in the morning, you can, you, can, you can just work self-pity around like it's nobody's business and feel utterly, utterly alone, you know? And when you feel, I mean, just think of that time when you felt like you'd been betrayed and like everyone had turned on you and nobody understood. There's something utterly unique about our pain and our suffering in that the felt quality of it, nobody else can ever really fully get. That's why people want to punch you in the face when you try to talk to them when they're going through pain. I mean, seriously, they want to punch you in the face. If you're talking to someone in pain right now, Just be with them. Um, So, I mean, just grab hold of what's going on in this psalm right here. He's crying out to God who sees everything and says, Look, God, look to my right and see. Nobody is concerned for me. I'm utterly alone. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I have nowhere to go hide and anchor myself. I have nowhere to go and find somebody that's going to um, step out of their own concerns and care about my concerns, I mean, which is such a warm and friendly thing. When we find that, when people carry our burdens with us, I have no refuge. I have no one who cares for my life. And I cry to you, O Lord, and I say, listen to this. You are my refuge, my portion in the land of Of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. So, somehow, God, in the middle of this frustration, it's like a prison. I'm trapped here. I'm alone. I'm utterly dejected. I'm trapped in this spot. And in this spot, I'm crying to you. And what I'm really needing to grab hold of is this thing. My cry really finds its resolution here. That you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. That's what Jeremiah said in Lamentations. The, The Lord is our portion. It means that when we get what is ours to have, and as David would add here, in the land of the living, while we're alive, when we get what is ours to have, when it is handed to us, when we're able to grab hold of that which can ground us, should ground us, will allow us to somehow find the resolution or the anchor. When we grab hold of that, what that portion is, is not what, what God is going to do next week. It's not the job that you are asking for. It ultimately is God himself. It ultimately is the faithfulness of God. It ultimately is a God who is loving, whose mercies are new every day. Ultimately, it is in that relationship where we are grounded, where we find our anchor, and, and that's where we have to learn to wait again, as Lamentation says. And what we begin to realize is God's blessing often comes latent with our greatest pain, a la Mary. That When we look to the faithfulness of God, it is not always with this kind of American idea that when I look to the faithfulness of God, His faithfulness is shown in removing the pain. Frankly, His faithfulness often is pregnant with pain. And so when we go to God, it's not for circumstantial healing always. We go to God for God. We go to God to to be anchored. We go to God to be made complete We go to God because even in the greatest of frustrations, somehow there we find our true home. And even if it still hurts, even if we still struggle to carry on, we find that we can do it there. And if we get enough mercy for today, tomorrow when we wake up at 3 in the morning and we're there again, we cry out to God from our beds and we find new grace and new mercy And we continue on like that and we realize that never will we be fully forsaken, that God always will be there and God will always point our eyes forward because ultimately pain is not the end of the story. I once preached a message after the tsunami in Asia and it was called Between the Gardens. And it was basically just the metaphor that we live between two gardens, one in Eden when everything was how it ought to be, It was how God created it to be. And then the second garden in the book of Revelation when everything is going to be restored to how God aimed it to be, how it ought to be, how it should be. But for now, while we're in the land of the living, we live between two gardens. And our portion, our promised portion in the land of the living from a faithful God is himself. And we grab hold of that as the end not as the mechanism to somehow um, fully satisfying all of our frustrations that ultimately are only going to be satisfied on a different day. And so, as I wrestled just kind of with this whole idea of Mother's Day, and I thought about women who have had abortion, wondering, teenage girls wondering, what category am I in? And as we're going to hear in a song in just a minute, um, what do I do if I'm not married? What do I do if I can't have kids? What do I do when this is frustrated, these desires you've given me, God? What do I do when all of this is not fully able to be reconciled? What do I do with the pain? What do I do with the frustration? That Ultimately, that's the real human story beneath it. And there is when we can cry out to God and understand that He is our portion in the land of the living, our rock, our refuge, and that His mercies are new every morning, that He will carry us, that we get reminded about it every week at church in messages, we sing about it every week in songs, that somehow we need to find each other in relationships, in church, so that we can hold each other up daily as we walk and remind each other and be a, a reminder to each other that our God is faithful, even if we don't know it today, even if we won't see it for 10 years, or even if we won't fully be able to experience it till the other side of the grave, that God is still faithful and that never will he leave you, never will he forsake you. And so to the degree that we get to experience the blessing and the joys and the beauty of fully Fulfilled desires, we celebrate that. But we also always hold on to and remember that many of the blessings God gives ends in pain. And that pain doesn't lead us away from God, but leads us to God. I want to read Psalm 145 as the closing prayer. And then Kelly's going to share a song with us. I think she's going to introduce it, a song that Carolyn wrote. Um, If you want to read along with me, you can, but Psalm 145. It's a song of praise. Psalm 145 says this, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They'll speak of your glorious splendor, of your majesty And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. For the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might. So that all men may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. And your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. The Lord upholds all those who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time and open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and loving toward all he has made. Amen.